Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today we are uh, celebrating this episode for the Veterans Day here in the U.S. Uh, with Lonnie Bedwell, and I'm getting the episode out uh, a little bit late here, and I apologize about that. I've been very sick over the weekend. You might hear it in my voice a little bit even today, but I went to produce the episode this weekend, which is what I, when I usually produce it right before the release. Did not have the energy or the time and uh, ran out of time even yesterday and in most of today. So apologies there. But this episode is awesome. And if you read the the title, you might think, okay, you know, I, I get what it's going to be about. Uh, it's going to be about, you know, super inspiring story, guy who's blind, climbs Mount Everest, first U.S. veteran to climb Everest that's blind. Uh, but it's frankly not even really about that. It, it, it's about in my opinion, about how Lonnie experienced this very unfair, tragic thing and his attitude and acceptance of the entire situation and how that has led to experiences like climbing Everest or paddling the Grand Canyon and the dozens of other amazing adventures he's done. His life is just as inspiring and worthy of an episode here with without the adventures in my opinion the most amazing thing about this is his acceptance of of the situation you're going to hear about how he went blind incredibly tragic how he raised three daughters as a single father totally blind and how he did all this in a town of a few hundred people in the midwest amazing story sorry again for getting it up late and a uh, happy belated veterans day to all the veterans that listen as well as to Lonnie here. And next week's episode is actually going to be uh, a deeper dive into the experience with someone that joined him on that Everest experience, uh, who also is an incredible adventurer in their own right and has some pretty incredible stories. So thank you for your patience, and let's go ahead and dive in. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today we are talking to a pretty amazing individual. Uh, so they've heard a little bit about you at this point, but I want to formally welcome you. Lonnie Bedwell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mason. I appreciate it. Where are you coming from today? Hi, I'm home here in Indiana. Indiana. Is that where you're from? Yes, I was raised in a little town of Pleasantville, about five miles down the road, population of 120, maybe. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm home. I'm back home. Did it did it uh, live up to its name growing up in Pleasantville? Oh, yes. Yeah, awesome little town, cool people, uh, for sure. Yeah, no complaints whatsoever. I live, uh, like I said, in between it and a little town of Duggar, which is a population of around 900. So it's a rural community. Wow. So, so what, what did you grow up doing? What kind of family did you grow up in? Uh, what kind of childhood did you have living in Pleasantville, a town of, I'm sure it was not much bigger than, if not much, you know, somewhat smaller? Yeah, it's about the same size now. It's probably a few less people now than there was. But yeah, we was just, we was just raised on a few acres. Uh, my dad, mom, brother, a, a little farm, if you will. We had a one time we had a milk cow named Bessie. You could ride like a horse, <laughs> just get on and ride around like a horse. But we always had, you know, sometimes a few calves to raise. Uh, 
eight, nine, ten, eleven hogs, chickens, rabbits, dogs, you name it. So it was, it was fun. And dad always planned a, good, a big garden. I'm talking a big garden to make sure he kept me and my brother busy. <laughs> you probably did a lot of the things right around there that, that you would think fishing, obviously gardening, any sort of adventure sports, any sort of, uh, big journeys. Did you get in then, or was it once you got into the military? Oh, it's yeah, totally after the military. Uh, but you know, around here where I was raised, it's pretty flat, pretty flat uh, elevation. You know, we might, a big hills, a hundred feet, 150 feet high. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, it was cool because we could just be turned loose back then as kids and, you know, out the door of a morning and mom, we're going north. <laughs> mom, we're going east. We're going west and make sure you're back by supper time. And you know, this is 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, we're just gone. Wow. And, buddies. and so we just you know, ran around, rode bicycles, 10, 11, 12 miles to another town just to visit people once we got a little older. And just a lot of freedom. Things you can't do today, which is a shame. What were some of the, you know, before we really dive into your story, what's what's some of the, because you're back there now, and we often talk to people on the show who live in, you know, places that you don't think of adventure hubs, but they're incredibly adventurous people. What, what What's some of the misconceptions about having done everything you've done and the experiences in life from the military to all your adventures Coming back there, what's a misconception about living in a place small and pleasant and, and, and quaint like that? Well, you know, it's perspective. A lot of people come back here and, you know, oh, there's nothing to do here. There's nothing to do. Well, if you love nature, you're going to like it. You're going to enjoy it. You know, get out there, go fishing. There's lakes all over the place. Get out and roam around through the hills. State ground around where I'm at. Wildlife areas, the state forest. Uh, areas there's a couple of parks here where you can ride motorcycles up through some old stripper hills if you will and what i mean by stripper hills is there's a lot of surface coal mining done around this area and Mm. created you know just up and down hills so they created some riding parks around here yeah you can get on the rivers and float the river calm there's nothing no white water but you know get on the rivers and float them fish them that's just it's just really cool to be able to get out and i know myself i turn i walk out my door and i turn to the west and i can walk a seven and a half mile loop and pass four houses Jeez. and it probably isn't going to change anytime soon no that's awesome i love that man the older i get the more i'm looking for quiet off the beaten path places like that like the places that get a lot of attention they're wonderful they're great you know the big national parks and the big mountains but I tell you what, there's nothing that can replace just a pleasant, quiet area. I know my, I, I can get out here and walk out. We got some property around here. My family does. And I can walk down there, walk back a lane about almost a half mile back to a little pond and just sit there and enjoy. You must be a local legend, too. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, no, I'm the only blind guy around here. Uh, <clears throat> you know, known as a blind guy. There are a lot of, it's kind of funny though, that once I lost my eyesight um, and started doing a lot of things, I had some, a friend of mine, his wife got into um, teaching the blind in some of the local schools. And we literally have parents come into the community with their children so that 
she can help teach them and be a part of it. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. And there's so many blind, visually impaired people around. You have no concept they're there because they don't get out and about. You know, I know you've probably told the story a million times, but tell, tell us the story of uh, how you went blind. I think it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I was turkey hunting. I, was out, I actually had went turkey hunting uh, on opening day the day prior, and I harvested a uh, turkey that day. So the next day, the day of the accident, I got up with my buddy again, and I, I just went out to simply call for him. <clears throat> we had separated a little bit intentionally for me to call and and then we're to work our way back together. And I'm not sure either one of us really realize how it happened, but I distinctly remember having this aura surround me and I knew something wasn't right. I mean, I completely felt enveloped by this presence and the birds stopped chirping, the wind stopped blowing the leaves were no longer rustling those squirrels running around nothing complete silence and i started to crouch down and reach up and cover my face when the blast went off i didn't see him any more than i think he saw me and i took a full shotgun blast to the face at approximately nine steps i was told it backflipped me <clears throat> literally <laughs> and i ended up on my belly i got up onto my knees reached up to wipe my eyes because I simply thought I had something covering my face. My head was raining and pounding at the time and I took my gloves off and reached up and wiped them again. And uh, this time I could feel blood and contents of my eyes and what have you just running down my hands. I knew what had happened. So my buddy came over naturally to me immediately and uh, ended up picking me up and leaning me against a tree, took his finger, clear my airway so I could take a breath and he ran for help. And I remember uh, finally I started getting a little weak, so I just created a pillow out of leaves so I could lay down on to try to keep my head above my feet and kept trying to clear my airway with my finger. And finally got to the point I couldn't clear my airway and I was able to break a little bit of a stem off of a bush that I was lucky enough to find. It's kind of flexible and I started shoving that down my throat to clear my airway because I couldn't get my finger down in there far enough to clear it uh, and I could finally hear the sirens coming thankfully uh, I was able to keep my airway clear and never passed out if I would have I would I wouldn't have made it but about 45 minutes later you know I heard people running through the woods going to pass me yelling for me I was so weak at this point I couldn't get up and I couldn't yell sound like a puppy dog finally uh, another good friend of mine come up on me and stood over me and you know he thought I, I was no longer there at that time until I kind of whimpered <laughs> thinking I was yelling at the top of my lungs and he said like I said I sound like a little whimpering puppy dog but uh, he yelled for everyone else to come over they put me on a stretcher carried me across some little stripper hills to a lake put me in a boat across the lake we went to an ambulance an ambulance took me up to a local ball diamond they uh Load me up on a helicopter and it intubated me at that time. And as we lifted off, and that's the last thing I remember before we come, I come out of surgery uh, at the hospital. That's it. What What happened with the shotgun blast? I mean, was it a misfire? No, my but my buddy said he saw a turkey and was shooting at a turkey. And uh, you're better looking than that. Yeah. <laughs>
Come on now. That's horribly unfortunate. But I, what what I think is 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 astounding. There's a lot I want to dive into. Is that you and him are still friends? Oh yeah, really good friends. And uh, you know he struggled with it a, a long time. The one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest gifts I was ever given in my life, was to never be the slightest bit angry or bitter at him. And as he was mad at himself, angry and. And it took a while, you know, working together to <clears throat> help him get over that. And, you know, he says to this day, you know, it's still a scar, but at least it's not an open wound. But we went hunting the very next year um, with him as my guide. When I harvested my first turkey without eyesight, he was my guide. When I harvested uh, the biggest buck uh, I've harvested with a bow since losing my eyesight, a pretty decent little eight point. I tell him all the time he's much better looking to me now than he used to be. And I probably would have gotten with him if it just told me he's related to Dick Cheney. So Right, right. I was, yeah, I heard I heard you tell that joke before. That is uh well I tell you what, I mean that when he took you a year later, he must have been a nervous wreck. Lonnie, oh, yeah. you stay right next to me now. I don't want to mistake you for something else. Good gracious. Well tell us about I mean that's you lost your eyesight. Uh you you didn't, you know, I'd say your face is intact. You know, you, you just look like you're wearing sunglasses. Where, what stage of life were you in when this happened? Were you, did you have a family? I know you were three years, I think, to the day out of the military, out of the Navy. Is that correct? Yeah. I was three years to the day off of active duty. I had went into the Naval Reserve then rolled over into the National Guard. So I was in a, uh, still in the National Guard in a field artillery unit. So that ended my military career. But, uh, yeah, at that time, like I said, I was in National Guard. I was working as a supervisor at a power, local power plant, coal gasification plant. Uh, and at the time, I was still married uh, and had three young daughters who were 5, 9, and 11 at the time. And I ended up uh, being a single father, raising those girls eventually. And But it's, it's cool. Everything's good. And, well, tell me about this. When, when After it happened, what... What was running through your head as far as now what? What do I do now? I can't do this thing I've been, you know, obviously relying on like most of us our whole lives. What were some of those initial challenges that you were like, I have to figure this out? Well, initially, you know, I was, uh, for whatever reason, I, I lost about 50 pounds. I went from 182 down to 129 pounds drinking in sure shakes like they were candy. You know, my mind just, or my brain, you know, severe headaches. And, and uh, you know, my initial thoughts were, you know, how am I going to be daddy? You know, my girls is constantly thinking about my daughters and my family. And then, you know, how am I going to do anything? I just, no concept. I, other than elderly people, I was the first blind person I'd ever met. Hmm. And, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know anything about it. Um, so, and then, like I said, kind of struggling with just severe, severe headaches. And I, I ended up having some alcohol shots in my eyes to block the nerve endings. And they told me, said it might last a day. It might last a week. Who knows? So I was very fortunate that for me, it worked pretty well and uh, took away a lot of that pain. But yeah, it was... Uh, it, it was just all those thoughts, just, you know, just darkness, you know, it's truly just darkness and, and just 
husband would be wondering and trying to heal, trying to get strength back, trying to just that noise just drove me absolutely crazy. It would just hurt. Noise. What was it just more intense than before? Like almost your body compensating? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, just any loud noise or, or bumpy movement in the car, you know, loud noise, it just it would just my headaches were so bad. The pain was so bad to begin with uh, that it hurt. And, you know, if I got in an automobile and just up and down little hills around curves, it just make me tremendously sick very easily. So just then once the headaches started going away, when I had the alcohol blocks, um, it worked. Uh, it really started helping a lot. You know, and I initially went back to uh, work at the power plant. Uh, after a few months, you know, I got those lights, got those shots, and I went back to, to work at the power plant. They they integrated the computers to where I could uh, speech some speech software. Wow. To where I could go there and, and do that. But, this was uh, this was early on. Like, that was not a common technology then. This was, what, in the <laughs> late 90s, right? Yeah, it was in, in 97, 97, 98. But really, the first thing that happened to put me on my feet was just a couple of months after the loss of my eyesight and I finally got enough strength to get up and I went outside totally lost no mobility training at the time using a broomstick to go across the yard and um, to make that long story short um, my youngest daughter helped me get on the riding lawnmower and get it out to my little barn and, and I mowed around my barn just a couple of months after the, the, the accident and those three girls, like I tell everybody all the time, they were the ones that were truly instrumental in putting me back on my feet. That incident that day really let me realize I was still daddy and I could do things. And, and they just started helping me do all kinds of things, the things I used to do before. And the adults were saying, no, 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 no. You, you might get hurt. And my girls were saying, go, go, go. And then the adults finally realized <laughs> him and those girls, they're going to, they're going to get out here and try it, so we better get on board. It was huge. I bring a tear to your eye, man. I'm a young dad, and I just can't imagine. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. Cold turkey is great on sandwich, but it's not always the best approach when it comes to breaking habits. I'm not talking about any magic here. I'm talking about... Our newest sponsor, Fume. They took a look at a problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a crazy change, why not remove the bad out of the habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning, flavored air device that does just that. So instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. And instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. No batteries, no electricity. I've been using my Fume. It's a, it's, a, it's a really cool handheld device that you put this little core in and you can breathe air and it's just like a, you know, similar, it's just something to do that can kind of distract you if you are used to having something else in your hand that you, you know, that might not be as good for you. It's really cool. There's no gimmick. There's no trick to it. It's just a, a really cool tool that helps, uh, you know, breathe some some flavored air in while you drive or while you're hanging out at the office. There's no smoke. There's no anything. Uh, if you know anybody in your life trying to break a bad habit, maybe Fume is going to be that answer for them. It's helped hundreds of thousands of people so far. 
And if you want to give it a shot and learn more, maybe you're still a little confused, head to tryfume.com slash adventure and use the code adventure to save 10% off your order. That's tryfum.com slash adventure and use the code adventure to save an additional 10% off. Give it a shot. Thank you, Fume, for sponsoring the show. I am a proud user of Manscaped. They are the revolutionary hair trimmer that a lot of men use. And our friends over at Menscape have been working night and day to bring you below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It's the next generation of trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Is it the biggest technological advancement of all time? I think it is. And that's why you need to get it and upgrade your grooming game to the Ultra Sphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code ADVENTURE at checkout. You can take it on the go. This puppy comes with a travel case, travel lock feature to avoid accidentally powering on or off. It's actually really handy. One of my headlamps just died the other night because it turned on by itself in my backpack. And speaking of lights, it has dual LED spotlights just like your regular lawnmower. So like I said, get 20% off plush free shipping with the code ADVENTURE at manscaped.com. It's very high tech for very low places. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Getting back on your feet with this new uh, reality, it sounds like work was was really trying to help. How, how did the community respond? How did the people around you respond? It sounded like a lot of support. What were you feeling about how folks were treating you? It was a very mixed bag with how people did things. Um, some people, you know, really were here to try to help. Um, but the one thing that they were doing wrong, in my opinion, is they wanted to do everything for me. They didn't want to initially start helping me learn how to do things. Um, and then, you know, I had some of my friends, the, the guy who found me in the woods, you know, the guy that shot me and the guy that found me were my two best friends growing up. And they're actually first cousins with each other. <clears throat> but um, the guy that found me, you know, for example, he, he quit coming around. And I'd call, he wouldn't call me back. And I finally just had someone load me up in the car and take me down to his house. And I literally walked up to him. And he's much bigger than I am. He's a pretty good-sized lad. And, and uh, I said, dude, why aren't you coming around? He said, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I remember reaching up and grabbing him by the collar of his shirt. And, you know, I found it because he was talking. I just reached up and grabbed it. He said, I just, he told me, he said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I shook him and just grabbed him. I said, look, you know, and I probably called him a choice name or two. because <laughs> We, we, we kind of give each other that kind of blast all the time. But I said, look, you're going to, treat me the way you always treated me you're going to talk to me the way you always talk to me and we're going to figure out how to do the rest of this i said you understand me you got that and he started bawling like a baby big man he said yeah he said i got it and that was just one example of, of others you know the same way that they wouldn't talk and still to this day there are some people that'll pass and you know they'll tell someone else in my family oh you know lonnie's not like he didn't speak and well, how can I speak? I don't know you're there, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but it, it takes a lot of educating people, you know. And I tell people all the time who, 
are <clears throat> blind and visually impaired and or disabled in whatever way. I said, you know, we have the responsibility of teaching these people because just like us, we're probably the first blind person they've ever really met or dealt with, or the first person in a wheelchair they've ever really met or dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of up to us to teach them. Once we teach them, then it's on them. But we have to educate them that we can do things. We are capable and we want to be treated just like everybody else, if you will, talk to the same way. I tell people all the time, you know, don't talk around it. Oh, did you listen to that on TV the other day? That's, you know, normal language is, hey, did you watch that? Did you watch TV? Hey, did you see that? Yeah. And once I get to knowing them, I might give them a blast of crap about it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's normal language. Just talk to us. So Don't, don't be afraid no, of that. No, absolutely. When you, when you talk around it, you identify it. You know, when you talk normal, you just, you're just talking normal. When you were getting out, and the reason I'm spending so much time here is that I think this is the, you know, this germination of this seed of, of getting used to this reality and, and accepting it is what basically blossomed in all these just unbelievable adventures you've done. And, and I just think this is where a lot of people get stuck is this initial change and in getting used to this new reality. And without really kind of making some of the same decisions you did here, you'll never get to that Everest. You'll never get to the Grand Canyon or any of these other amazing things you've done. I think all those are really just a celebration of kind of this groundwork early on you put in. Um, yeah. What, what was, what was easier than you expected with, with this new reality and what, what, what was harder than you would have initially thought? Who? Wow. I don't, I have to really think about that. What was harder than I thought was just getting my, balance back being able to literally walk without stumbling and bumbling and you know because your eyesight and your hearing go together to form your you know stabilize your balance if you will so my eyesight went away my balance went away dramatically so it took a long time to really get that back you know if, a windy day I, I really couldn't go outside and walk much because I just uh, stump is is even worse at that point and still to this day really windy days I, I i not so much of the balance but i don't get out and about because i i rely on my hearing to navigate as well as the feel of things with the cane <laughs> but uh like getting on a roof or getting up in a tree i you know when i started doing roofing jobs if it's got windy i'd lose my balance and want to fall off fall down so that was probably one of the harder things and getting used to the lack of independence, getting, being able to jump in a vehicle and go on my own, go anywhere I wanted to on my own, at my own accord when I wanted to. Um, that was a dramatic loss. Still to this day, one of the things I missed the most. Humbling, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I always tell people the three things I missed the most in life is seeing my family, my children and seeing nature and the independence of the, independence of being able to drive but uh, uh some of the things that were easier i guess uh, some of the easiest things is hmm, just being normal it's easier to be normal than you realize it is if you'll just do it and if everyone around you will do it you know to, to call yourself quote unquote normal and mm. just being a part of and being social 
and just getting out there and just living. It, it truly can be easier than we think. And it is easier than we might think. You know, you, you were talking about that acceptance thing. To me, uh, adversity. I came up with an acronym for adversity a good while back. And I, I really think it's, it's, it's legitimate. You know, A-D-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. As you said, the hardest part is always the A and the D. Accepting and acknowledging that there is differences and it could be difficult. Like the first step up a mountain or the first paddle stroke through a rapid, it, it might be challenging. But if you truly will step back and say, okay, here I am, no matter how big or how small this adversity is, here I am. Acknowledge it. Don't dismiss it. Don't compare it to somebody else or to their worst. Nothing. Acknowledge it. Okay, here it is. It's in front of me. It's, 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 it's a little different. It, it might be challenging. But then once you do that, it empowers you to do the VER, to visualize every route you can take. And then it gives you the S, what my daughters did for me. It gives you the strength to stand up and to take a step to the ITY, into you, your future, the life you can live, the differences you can make. And I think it really starts right there. You know, just, okay, yeah, here I am. Let's go. What... You said your daughters were instrumental in helping you get back on your feet and, and, and get used to this. Where where did they uh how did they deal with this initially? Was it you know, a lot of getting through that adversity acronym themselves, like a dad, you know, has a different reality now, or was it, hey, this is just this is what it is. You know, we're gonna do this. They seemed young enough to where it was like, um, I don't know, kids can often just, you know, oh, yeah, that, that's that's not hard. We're just going to, this is what we're going to do. I don't know. I, I see that in my own kids. They just, something I'm worried about. They're like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> and so, I don't know. How were how, how they with all this? It, a little different with all three of them. You know, my oldest one uh, was old enough it's time to realize more of the challenges, you know, and... And she knew dad before being blind and dad after being blind. And she knew the consequences of potentially getting hurt. So she was more reserved, if you will, and more cautious. And, and, and I think probably, I don't know if it's fair to say it had a uh, larger impact on her than the other two. I don't know that that's fair. It had a big impact on all of them, but you know, uh, so she, she, took things a little more cautiously and the middle one was kind of kind of like the oldest one but yet kind of okay let's go for it where the youngest one was more in that go for it stage you know just here that you, you don't go do it but you know um but like i said compared to adults they were kids the innocence of kids of just what do you mean you can't here let's try it here here you know Here's a hammer, Dad. Try to learn how to drive a nail. You know, and I, I mean, they literally hammer, hammer, and because I wanted to build things and or you know, kind of put things together, patch something up. I, and you know, learning to drive a nail, I smash my fingers and thumbs so many times. That's like I tell people all the time. I hit a nail pretty much every time I swung a finger, but it was the ones on my fingers and thumbs. <laughs> <Your> fingernails. 
<laughs> but I finally got to the point I could do it. And <laughs> so, and that's the innocence of children now. And I know myself when I'm out in public, I love it when these little kids come up, what, what, what are you doing with that cane? Why are you wearing sunglasses inside? You know, and you can hear their parents or the adults, whoever's with them say, shh, now be quiet, be quiet. And I will instantly say, no, no. I said, let them ask. Let them ask. Because, you know, not only are they going to learn, you're going to learn. The beauty of the innocence of children is they just put it out there. They do. You know, yeah, and, and, and they bring the, the elephant in the room right out in the open and now deal with it. But who doesn't love an elephant, you know? So. Yeah. And, <laughs> so you get that opportunity to not only educate that child, but to educate that adult. That's, uh, yeah, my son, He's when he was three, it was a guy with a prosthetic, a pretty cool looking one. It was like metallic and just parts to it and my son's like what is that <laughs> right next to him in line somewhere and I said he's uh I said he's a superhero and uh the guy was like yeah look at this isn't this cool let him let him touch it and showed him all these cool things and yeah how, how are you gonna hide that from a kid you know you, you, you just lean into it lean into it yeah. I mean it's easy for me to say but the the guy was really really cool about it um and that helps them learn helps them see you know this isn't something to run away from so what I think is most amazing about your story is that you were able to raise three daughters uh, as a single dad. How the heck did you do that? It sounds like they had a lot of initiative and a lot of, uh, you know, willingness to help you. Um, you taught them to drive. You taught them to do all kinds of things. Did any of that feel overwhelming or feel like, how am I going to do this? Or was it, I'm going to figure out a way to, to continue being dad? They made me feel like I was dead. So it was challenging. It, even playing softball with them, I ended up being a, a coach for their softball teams. I'd do batting practice, building practice with them, you know, figured out ways to where I could get got a little pitching machine and build a little cage so I was safe behind it. But then I could, you know, like I said, building practice, I'd toss the ball up in there and hit the ball, you know, got to the point I could hit to every base, you know, knowing every time where I was going to hit it to and to the outfield and, and could describe the game and bouncing basketballs, you name it, bells with basketballs. And so, you know, it's just, it was a little challenging, but it was one of those things like, okay, it can be done. You know, they, they'd already developed that mindset for me to really start diving into it. And, you know, it, it kind of worked too for the other kids on the team to be a part of that. And and then the driving, you know, it's okay. You know, we can do this safely. We got a pastor here behind the house. I got an old Ford F-150 four-wheel drive. I, I'd roll the window down, put it in the low side in four-wheel drive to begin with. So I couldn't get going too fast. And I just listened to the sound of the motor and the sound of the weeds going by. And, and I put them on my lap and let them steer to begin with and I did the clutch and the brake and as they got better you know one of them would shift gears while one steered and then you know just kept progressing to where each one of them individually started you know doing their thing and, and driving around and then we took off down the county roads and and uh yeah it, it just worked there's a way there's always a yeah. way that is so cool well it sounds like they're pretty incredible people as well and I'm sure that uh 
their encouragement and their faith in you just was priceless. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's all my, my family's my world. My daughters are, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all in a support system, like I said, around, you know, not to take away too. I mean, I, you know, my parents and my mom and, and dad, uh, yeah. you know, they was around, just lived down the road. My brother, you know, ended up moving across the street from me. He, he did live in St. Louis when I had the accident, ended up coming back home. And so, you know, I had help and I had a means of getting them from point A to point B and neighbors, uh, you know, didn't hesitate to come around and, and pick up and, and, uh, you know, there's one lady that, uh, was with Boke rehab, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, was just huge. She went above and beyond her job to help, uh, get me reengaged and the help I need. And just, you know, just massive, massively important in my life. So, when did adventure sports start coming into play? Be- because a lot of people are fearful of, you know, taking on a big challenge or something physical where it doesn't feel, you know, necessary to surviving this life. I run into it all the time. Like, I don't want to take up mountain biking or I don't want to take up this or that because one, it takes away time from, you know, um, and two, I could get hurt and that would be a whole new challenge. Like, you know, it's scary for folks that aren't blind. Uh, when you're single dad of three daughters facing this big challenge and someone's like, hey, let's go, you know, kayak this river. Wh- where did that begin? When did that begin? Well, since I was a single father with those girls, I didn't go to a blind rehab center until my youngest daughter was graduating high school or senior year. I, I finally went and that's so why I was blind for 14 years at this point. And I regret in some ways not going much earlier, and I highly recommend anybody to get a chance to go as soon as you possibly can. It's huge. But I didn't know that. So um, in that process, in the meantime, you know, I ended up not, you know, uh, getting laid off at the power plant. And I got into building houses, something I didn't do before, you know, anything from the ground up, uh, roofing, cheating, wiring. I've helped build over 30 homes, worked for this company for these guys for that 14 year period and a little bit after that as a matter of fact too but when i finally went to that blind rehab center they asked me they said lonnie they said we know that blind people snow ski but we've never done it as a recreational outing here at the blind rehab center the va blind rehab center they said will you be our guinea pig they knew the backstory of me you know building these homes and you know push more using a chainsaw everything i did with my daughters and there was the four guys younger guys who lost their eyesight as a result of combat that were were there and they said you know we've got to find something for these younger vets to do Uh, so will you be our guinea pig so twist my arm if they can do it we can do it and so that's when i got introduced to my first adaptive sport which was snow skiing and then one of those guys was asked a few months later to go to an event, water skiing, sailing, and cycling. And he asked them if they would bring me. And it was with the Wounded Warrior Project. And uh, uh, they said, well, he's Lonnie's not a post-9-11 veteran. He's not eligible. And they said, you don't understand. He's blind. You're not. If he doesn't come, I'm not going. So they called and they asked me if I'd come in for a special guest for him. And I said, I'll be there. So in between... Those two events, 
uh, started getting asked to go to other events and and it just blew up from there for me just crazy what what were you experiencing out there i mean did you did you think that these experiences would be fun for you enjoyable you know what i mean uh or did you think it's going to be more of a hassle than it's worth what what were you, were you like oh that, that that sounds great i'd love to do that how were you feeling I have about it no idea <laughs> I no really idea no really. expectations <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what this is going to be like. I have no clue, uh, but you know, I had done a little bit of water skiing when I had eyesight. So, you know, I, I thought, okay, I can do that, you know, and, and riding bicycles, but, but snow skiing, I didn't do any of it. Sailing, I didn't do it. You know, the rock climbing, mountaineering, kayaking, I, I didn't do any of that stuff. Like I said, I just felt like, okay. Let's try this for two reasons. One, this now is my new duty assignment, my new mission. You know, I couldn't go active, but if I can find a way to help encourage these other people to live life, to realize that we can do more than we think we can, and then let's go try this. Let's go try. And I kept pushing the limits. So the fifth day I was ever on a set of skis in my life, you know, they went from, we're skiing these little green slopes to I skied my very first blue slope to my very first black slope. And with a little help and innovation of, you know, clicking ski poles together, going to a whistle, banging a pipe in a bar, and then finally finding the cowbell. And they'd ring that cowbell in front of me. And that day, like I said, that day, chasing that cowbell, I just went from, to ski my first black slope and yeah, it's just it it is enjoyable it's living you know a, a good friend yeah. of mine steve his mantra is moving is living he's so correct it's so true moving is living hmm. mm-hmm. i love that so so what began to happen from there sounds like the adventures got bigger and bigger how did these opportunities come about because eventually you you know kayak the Grand Canyon, you climbed Denali and all the way up to just recently climbing uh, Everest and the whole uh, sightless summits, you know, expedition. Like what, what were some of those other stepping stones in between? Well, um, I was went to a clinic, the VA, the Disabled American Veterans Winter Sports Clinic out in Snowmass, Colorado. I was asked to go to that event uh, literally a year into, you know, once I got introduced to adaptive sports. And it was there that I was introduced to, uh, you know, rock climbing on a little wall, kayaking in a swimming pool, and a little bit of trekking up the mountain on snowshoes. For the kayaking, the organization Team River Runner, they asked me, said, Lonnie, hey, come and join us up here in Montana to an out-of-sight clinic. So I went up there, and that's where I was introduced to my first whitewater. And the executive director of the organization, Joe Mornini, was sitting at the airport after that. And he, he said, Lonnie, how would you like to be the first blind veteran to kayak the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon? And I was like, whoa. He said, I don't know how we're going to do it, but how would you like to try? Yeah, that sounds cool, you know. To me, it was like a dream, and to him, it was a vision. Well, just a few months later, <laughs> he called me up. He said, Lonnie, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon uh, this year. How would you like to join us? 
in a raft and, and see, get a feel for the river. And I remember telling him on the phone, I said, I don't want to do that. I said, I want to go in my own kayak. Going in a raft will scare the crap out of me. I want to be in my own kayak where I'm kind of in control. And he just laughed. He said, man, he said, you got to learn how to do an Eskimo roll or combat roll. And you got to do at least a thousand of them. And you also have to have a whole lot more experience. Well, he didn't know after that first trip in Montana that I went to Kentucky with one of the guides I had in Montana and kayaked a, a little kind of a lazy river down there in, in Kentucky. But they sent me home from Kentucky with a kayak, a spray skirt, helmet, paddle, and a life jacket, the five essentials of whitewater kayaking. And when I got off that phone that next day, I dragged my kayak off the back, off my back porch down to my pond and started learn, trying to learn how to do these rolls. And I'd also had a guy uh, help me up and start teaching me up at Indiana State University in a, in a swimming pool. That next day, I did 100 rolls. I quit counting at 1,500 rolls in my pond at home. But then I also called some more folks and, and went down to the Charlotte Whitewater Center in North Carolina. And while I was down there kind of practicing, I met a guy named Pablo McCambus, who was a Chilean Olympic paddler. And I told him what I was working up for. And he said, I think you can do part of it. I said, you got to call Joe. The thing I didn't know was that Joe Mornini had taught Pablo how to kayak as a, uh, when he first got going. I said, you got to tell him. So he called him up and told him, said, hey, I think this guy can run most of that. So... That year, you know, uh, 14 days of whitewater experience under my belt and over 1,500 rolls on my pond, I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time. And that's how it started with, with kayaking. Mm. The mountaineering started when one of these organizations that I was introduced to, <clears throat> they asked me, they said, hey, Lonnie, we'd like to uh, see if we can have blind people, you know, go mountaineering with the would you be our guinea pig? Me and one other guy, Steve. And I said, yeah, yeah, let's try it. <laughs> the very first day we went out to climb uh, one of the 14,000 foot peaks, Humboldt out there in Colorado. And I realized oh, yeah. the, the importance of the right size shoes because I lost both big toenails. <laughs> uh, but it worked. We did it. And so they developed a program to take blind veterans mountaineering. And on one of the first trips out there mountaineering. We had, I think, four or five other blind guys who lost their eyesight in, in combat, being led by other disabled veterans and, and some of the people from that organization, the Adaptive Sports Center in Crestview Butte, Colorado, is who it was with. And while we were out there doing that, uh, one of the guys named Aaron, we decided, him and I, he lo Aaron lost his eyesight in Afghanistan. We decided to go try and climb Mount Kilimanjaro together. Just a few weeks before we were to go over there, Aaron developed spinal meningitis due to his injuries in combat. And it left him not only totally blind, but totally deaf. Mm. And the only way at the time we could communicate with him was to spell letter by letter in his hand. And I remember I was on the telephone talking to his caregiver who was sitting right beside him in his hospital bed. And I told him, I said, you tell Aaron that I'm not going to climb until he can climb with me. I heard him repeat every letter, then every word. And then when he realized what I was saying, he literally screamed at me. And he said, Bedwell, you blankety blank, blank, blank. <laughs> he said, no, 
no, no, no. He said, you climb it for me. You climb it for us. You climb it for all of us. And I was shocked, but I knew that I had to go. So I went and I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, I have to say, when I got up there, I, I got two little rocks, one for him and one for one of the guys I met at the blind rehab center the first time. Brought them back and mailed it to him. Then I was asked by Steve, the gentleman I, that we, I first climbed with out in Colorado the very first time on Humboldt to go climb Mount Aconcagua down in South America. I said, all right, I'm in. Let's go. And while we were there <laughs> climbing the mountain, this guy, Michael, Michael Neal, stuck his head in the tent and said, hey, guys, you're blind. And you said, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know. He said, this is cool. You know? And, and uh, so we got talking to him a little bit. <clears throat> then as um, a few months later, several months, I guess, you know, I was uh, talking to the executive director of the Blind, uh, of the, uh, Blind Veterans Association, the BVA. And he told me, he said, uh, Lonnie, he said, I know you do this extreme stuff. So the next time you do something big, how about joining with the BVA to help bring awareness to the organization or the association? I told him, I said, okay, I said, there's nothing in, in, in the plans right now, nothing at all. But if something comes up, I'll, I'll let you know and we will. Three days later, Michael Neal and Brian Hill were sitting at Everest Base Camp and they called me. They said, Lonnie, how would you like to climb Mount Everest? I just lowered my head, took a breath and said, okay, let's do it. You know, yeah, I'm in. Let's see if we can figure it out, how to do this. We had no idea how we'd do it, get the support and, the, and the sponsorship. But, you know, it's kind of like to me, serendipity. You know, I got the phone call from the BVA asking me to do this. And Brian and Michael called me up and said, hey, how about doing this? So we went to Mount Denali first as a precursor to see what we could do as a group. And then to Mount Everest this year. And, and it worked and we did it. What did the people around you think about this trajectory, this new trajectory after 14 years of being blind and, you know, raising kids and, and living in small town, Indiana? What, what, what did folks around you think? What did your daughters think? <laughs> well, my daughters were like I, I described earlier, you know, uh, the oldest one was like, okay, dad, go do this stuff, but please, please, please be careful. Middle one was like, you know, be careful, but have fun. The youngest one was like, go for it, daddy. And, <laughs> and uh, then uh, then it got to the point where, you know, now my oldest daughter's like, yeah, you know, be careful, dad. Make sure you got plenty of life insurance for us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, see, they just kind of chuckled. Uh, Everest, they were all three very, very apprehensive about it. Encouraging, worrying, be safe. But, um they were kind of supportive of some of it, but the two things that they really were apprehensive about was the big water kayaking on the Grand Canyon, the Zandi, and then and that naturally climbing Mount Everest. Uh, I'll not forget, you know, uh, on Everest, you know, they told me, my parents especially were like, Lonnie, of all the things you've done, why this? Why do you have to do this? I told them, I said, you know, I knew that I was going to be guided by these other disabled veterans who were injured in combat. And there were 15 other disabled veterans on this trip. I was the only one that was visually impaired. 
So I told him, I said, you know, every paddle stroke I make is an effort to try to pay them back in some way for the sacrifices they made for me. Not just our country, but for me. Or not only for our country, but for me. And it was the same thing on Mount Everest. There was so much sacrifice given. You know, every step I made was to try to tell them thank you and to, to encourage everybody what can be done. You know, uh, at this point, I've met so many disabled veterans and there's so much support and sponsorship and children and people. It's just, you know, I mean, there's there's these times where literally I remember on the mountain, there's times I was like, Monty, you don't have to do this. You know, you can call it quits. And it's like, no, 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 you can't. Memorial Day, I knew was close. The summit was so close to Memorial Day and all the sacrifices. It gives me the freedom to go do this stuff. And all, like I said, the people that believe in me and sponsor it and support it, it's just, you know, I, I, I'd want to hesitate and, you know, it's take another step. Think of this guy. Think of that gal. And everything they're going through, just take another step, Lonnie. Take another step. And as you're, you're sitting there on the mountain and you're, <clears throat> and you're you're watching people turn around and come back down and, and, and suffer from it, take another step, you know, and I was joined over there to begin with us. We had different teams, but yet together, we intentionally went over there. this uh, blind female veteran to come over there. And, and she was, you know, she was so much more in shape than I am. She, she's just an extreme athlete, but her body uh, wouldn't let her acclimate uh, her ears and but yet sitting there watching her just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight to stay up there and before she eventually had to say no this is gonna cause more problems you know and then but thinking about her, her just her perseverance her dedication her drive to and, and then like i said you know take another step and you go up and you're standing there and you're watching the helicopter you know go up to camp three and or above and you know, slightly above that static line, people off the mountain, and, and everybody around you telling you, telling you, you know, Lonnie, they're they're hanging, they're upright, so you know they're alive, or they're hanging by their ankles, so you know that they didn't make it. And but watching that helicopter go up there, and you know if it goes up there, it's not good. Someone's coming down, you know, due to frostbite for whatever reason, or they didn't like once again they didn't make it, and and knowing you're getting ready to go there, you know. And it's just take another step. And then as you're going up, you're passing more people that are just stuck or out of their head or, or you know, literally, literally, you know, the guides carrying them because they're, they're out or, you know, tear or tears coming down their face because the struggles and, or, you know, on summit day, remember going up and, and passing people as they're coming back down, you know, they're speaking to me and I, I knew some of them and extremely experienced climbers. Did you make it? No, I got to, a five, to within 500 feet of the summit. My eyelids froze shut. I got to turn around and come back. Or no, you know, the frostbite was getting me. I had to turn around and come back. And, and you're sitting there just take another step on me. Take another step. Take another step. And uh, oh, my gosh, it was challenging. It was challenging for sure. Wow. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. What is the experience? What are you feeling when you're out on these big adventures, you know, 
one the element of sight is not there what is the experience like for you what are you enjoying about it what's kind of the the impact it's having for those of us that are looking around hmm. well there, it's different between the sports you know my two favorite are the vertical rock climbing and the whitewater kayaking um on the kayak it's me in my boat, my paddle, I'm in charge, if you will. Like people use eyesight, like you guys use eyesight to grab a steering wheel and turn the wheel to navigate the road. I'm using sound, the commands off these other, these people in front of me, you know, just simply yelling, up, 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 on me, charge, give me a two o'clock bow angle, line up on me, put me in your gun sights, you know, and, but yet, I'm using that sound, but I, I'm in control. I'm turning that boat, you know, and that's free. That's freedom. That's one of the things I miss is that freedom. Climbing those rock walls, you know, I got to find that handhold. I'm feeling for it to find that handhold to make that next little move. And it's dynamic. And that's me going up that wall. It's independence. And not actually, you know, I, I flip more a lot of times on, on the river. You know, and some people laugh about that now. I've gotten a little bit better at staying upright. But because, you know, you can't, you know, just a little bit of an angle can cause your boat to get hit by a wave or hold it shoot across the river or, or flip you upside down, you know, to where if you could just lean into it or take a paddle stroke on the other side instead of this side, you know, you could, you can stay upright. And, and, uh, but, you know, those are some of the challenges in it. And, <laughs> you know, you hear the massive roar, you can't see the line. So in some ways, you know, I've had people tell me, well, it's probably an advantage that you can't see what you're going through. I don't know. That's a question that cannot be answered. You know, I've, another one, you know, you, you know, if you had eyesight, you might not do this. People tell me that all the time. If you had eyesight, you probably wouldn't do it. Well, my guides have eyesight and they're doing it. So unfair, maybe they're right. I might not do it, but, you know, is it easier without eyesight or with, I, I, I can't answer. You can't, I mean, from a, from a mental standpoint, if you will, Yeah. yeah. through these rapids, but I, all I know is when you're getting ready to drop in, you're hearing this massive roar. And you can just, I, I, I tell the sound of music. Is it here, the volume right here around the five? Is it a seven or is it a 10? And, and you're listening to it and you're thinking, okay, that's going to be, that, this could be a fun, this could be a fun, just boogie water, you know, that massive roar, oh crap, you know, what's this bringing, you know? So some of the challenges, and, and like, simply on the wall you know you're sitting there thinking man if i could just see to simply put my hand right there you know uh you know a foot to the right a foot high instead you're scanning the wall and then when you go to bring your foot up you know you kind of have to hang on and sweep a little bit sometimes with your hand to figure out okay there i'm going to put my foot so then you grab a hold again so it's it can be a little bit more tiring i think trying to climb that wall because you're constantly have to let go to scan at times and figure out the move instead of simply look and say okay put your foot there put your hand here lean this way lean that way you're feeling your way up the wall but yet you're doing it 
it's it's you. You know, now the mountaineering and the long uh, distance cycling are more challenging to me because like a, a big mountain, I can't break it down. You know, I can't, okay, just make it to that point, to that bend, to that rock, to that tree, to whatever it is and break it down. It's simply take another step. It's always just take another step take another step it's simple but it's difficult <laughs> but it's it's so difficult because like i said how many of those just take another steps are there you know it's it's not this okay you just got to go 50 yards to that rock like i said it's, it's you can't break that down and then you know the guys michael and brian and, and ryan all of them you know they laugh on when we're climbing up the the mountain special on Everest, they're sitting there and they just chuckle at me. They did it several times and they'd say, oh, Lonnie, I did it again. And, you know, I got to where I knew what that meant. They, when they were behind me, they would initially tell me, tell me that think, well, why didn't he just raise his foot up another inch or move his foot, up, uh, you know, half inch to the left or half inch to the right. He could have got, it'd been an easier step. And then they'd think, duh. <laughs> You can't see to just simply move it here or move it there, you know, and, then, and they would be telling me, you know, well, Lonnie, try to step up with your left foot. Well, all my weights on my left foot, I can't, I, I have to shift my balance around to, to do these things. So what took like going through the Kumbu Icefall, what took the average sighted person seven to eight hours to go through, took me 12, 12 and a half hours to go through, you know, and, and I couldn't, simply just relax my mind and walk every step I took and and that's in those sections was concentrated step jeez I guess I guess the part you were probably best at is don't look down <laughs> yeah don't look down <laughs> you're like got it no problem yeah of all the adventures you've done which I know you know we'll probably title this something Everest will be in the title but I know we've talked about almost everything but um what is most impactful because you know some of them get more attention just more marketable obviously climbing mount everest obviously kayaking through the grand canyon are impressive and amazing but but to you personally what 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 was has been one of the most uh, impactful maybe it's those maybe it's not it's the events that i really get to go and have others join me or you know the ones that i think are the most impactful are you know I, i'm so blessed with opportunity and, and uh, having the acquaintance of so many of these other nonprofits that i can help organize events and create events and when you get to bring these other disabled veterans and children with you and you see them accomplish something they never thought they could do that's cool and you see the light bulb come on in their head or in their in their family you know to their caregivers and realize you know and especially like i said i love it when you a lot of times when you can bring your caregiver because you know i distinctly remember for example last about a year ago i was kayaking down in georgia with this this uh, young lady who's visually impaired and her dad finally got to come to one of her events and this is one of the first ones she has done and he sat there and watched her kayak watched the smile on her face and then not only what it did for her but what it did for him and then what it did for them and then i was able to connect them with a event where they both went together 
on a mountaineering trip out in Montana. And they loved it. Those kind of things. And I could tell story after story after story about that. Those are special. Yeah. But then, like I said, all these others, they bring awareness and attention and people that follow. And, you know, I, 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 you never know who's watching. In the preparation for doing these, like I said, I walked the seven, walk, jog, run the seven and a half mile loop I was talking about. And I literally got back to my house, sitting on my front steps, taking my shoes off, and a car pulls into my driveway. And this gentleman steps out. He said, Lonnie, you don't know me, but I'm from Linton, the next local town over. He said, I was out there watching you do this for a couple of days. And he just started bawling, just started sobbing immensely. He said, you don't realize by watching you, you just saved my life. He said, it made me realize. He come up, he shook my hand, he gave me a hug, he jumped back in his car and he left. And I have no idea who he was. No. So uh, why do I do it? Sure, I enjoy it. But why do I push the limits? Those kind of reasons right there. We all simply want someone to believe in us and give us a chance. Who would Lonnie Bedwell be had he not been shot in the face in 1997? I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, I really don't. I don't think it was, you know, I'd been a workaholic, uh, a father who didn't know his children. Like I was blessed enough to, to end up knowing my children to the degree that I I wanted this to be this. I had to. I had to provide. I have to provide. I have to provide. Well, I did, and I and and I do, but but I didn't realize what I was leaving behind, and just work, 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 and get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, and uh, you know, I, I do truly believe there's a balance there, and um, I'd be this person that uh, doesn't have the vision that I have today. I'd be this person that I think would be probably more shallow, if you will, uh, that doesn't, uh, that didn't realize the importance of us as much as I do now. People, in other words, people. You know, I, I distinctly remember sitting in my house one time and my mom was here and my, my girls were jumping around, squealing and up and down. And this was after I lost my eyesight. And my mom yelled and said, Girls, you stop that. You're tearing up. And I said, No, no, mom. I said, Mom, you stop, please. I said, you see these photos and pictures on the wall, these paintings or whatever, these things in the house, that couch they're jumping across. I said, I don't see them. I don't know they're there. They might as well not even exist. They're just things. But you hear that laughter. I can't replace it. That cannot be replaced. And, you know, just simply relationship. Just us. I mean, it's just countless. I mean, I mean, what can we not do if we help each other? Michael and Brian, you know, uh, believing in me and Ryan, all, you know, just believing in me, giving me a chance. It's all we all want. I, I know I said that earlier, but that's it. We all want someone to give us a chance to believe in us, make us feel like we have importance and value. When the real fact, each and every one of us are immensely valuable. We all bring something to the table that is unique. And that's what makes us all important. We as people want to put layers, oh, they're more important than I am. No, 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 no. Before the, the pandemic, if that didn't prove 2020 
pandemic. If that didn't give us clear vision, 2020 vision of the value of all of us, who before that pandemic would have ever classified a Walmart worker, worker as an essential worker, but yet they were classified as an essential worker, go to work so the rest of us can eat a meal. Before that, it would have been all these other statuses, if you will. I know I rambled, so I even lost track of your question because my mind is just racing and going. But This might be, you know, too personal on the nose. I, I don't know. You tell me if you don't want to answer it. But are you glad it happened? I will answer it this way. If I could get my eyesight back tomorrow, I would in a heartbeat. If I could go back 26 years and change it, not a chance. No way would I do that. Yeah. For those of us that haven't experienced it, I think it does provide hope that no matter what the future brings, gosh, so much beauty can come out of it. You're you're clearly a, a, a evidence of that. Yeah, it's uh, I, without question, am one of the most blessed human beings to ever walk the face of the earth. I live the most humbling, surreal life imaginable and um like i said i the people that come into my life are, i'm just in awe what's next for you what, what what's the next adventure well i, I i'll answer that two ways <laughs> one is what do you want to do you know someone out there have something in mind and, uh, let's go try it let's go do it but what do we hopefully have planned to to be able to accomplish is we'd love to be able to finish the Explorer Slam. I never had these big mountains on my radar at all. I truly didn't. But now that we've done four of the seven summits, I'd like to finish the seven summits and then go ahead at that time and ski to the North and South Pole. I'd like to have you back on then too. <laughs> and my last question, do you have a favorite blind joke? <laughs> Uh, what's three of the meanest things you can do to a blind person? <laughs> okay, you got one ready. This is great. Oh, gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Well, one is what my daughters do to me, rearranges the furniture. Okay. <laughs> Second meanest thing you can do is line the hallway with doorknobs. And the meanest thing you can do to a blind person is leave a plunger in the toilet. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've learned these the hard way. Golly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for coming on the Adventure Sports Podcast. This was this was awesome. Had no idea where it was going to go, uh, but this was just an inspiration. Anybody listening is going to be able to garner some inspiration and, uh, you know, face whatever challenges they have going on or that they will face in the near future thank you so much well thank you and, and uh, appreciate it and you're you're more than welcome and and all your your audience and your listeners you know i i've said it but my it's my passion believe in yourself believe in each other help each other you all have so much immense value and purpose and you can do so much more than you think you can or we can thank you yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll have me on another podcast where I actually delve into the uh, 
adventures in detail, like the story of the Grand Canyon, the Zambezi, and uh, and Everest, and Denali. So, actually, actually get into the. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>